This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. Here's Miranda, who at the time of this recording has never been to a Dave Matthews concert. And that's Melanie. She doesn't get tan per se. Her freckles just kind of combine. It is summertime, and in the summer, I know you know this about me, Melanie, one of my favorite things to do is, like, get out into these random little antique shops and thrift stores. Yes, for sure. It's it's a good time to do it. You know, the weather's good. It's hot out, so you can go poke around for a while. You just poke around, and you see what you find. And one time, me and you found something really interesting in an antique store and i'm wondering if you remember this day i think we've found several weird things but uh you're probably talking about (laughs) a folk art masterpiece (laughs) that um we called ayana Is, is that what you're talking about i'm talking about ayana oh my gosh i don't even remember how we ended up in that thrift store on that I day don't, i don't either. where were we coming from where were we going what were we even doing i think we were on our way back to your house but i don't remember where we were coming from i think we had left the children so it was just you and i and that place is not far from my house so we just no. like stopped in there yeah and it was on the way in we saw it and it was and- outside and it took our <laughs> breath away <laughs> are you gonna describe it <laughs> i am gonna do my best because i have to go from my memory here um because unfortunately i'll i'll get to this but i no longer have ayana well, but thank god for that <laughs> But okay, so picture this, listeners. You're walking up to a cutesy little antique store, and outside are like maybe some items that are on like special display to try to lure you in. And there's a particular, shall we say, sculpture slash lamp slash jewelry box slash slash demon. I don't know what this was. I mean, I I actually don't think it was any of those things (laughs) because there was no space to put any actual jewelry in it. I don't think it had the ability to light. It had a little drawer. What, that you could fit two necklaces in? Yes. It was like a lamp without a bulb. It like, if I'm remembering, it was like 
a mermaid type sculpture that had been very, very poorly repainted. Like somebody found this thing and they were like, I'm going to make that cute. And they did not execute it was like that show nailed it where like they try to make it one thing and it turns out super bad that's what this was and it was like the worst colors it was like neon green and like this desert rose pink and it was a mermaid and she was like you know seductively like standing or kneeling there or something or whatever mermaids do do you have a photo of it pulled up i'm trying to find it i know i have one somewhere Uh, we'll find it so we can put it in with the uh when we post stuff i don't think someone repainted it i think someone created it from like scratch that sculpture came from somewhere though no i think they made it she just sent me the picture i forgot how this thing functioned okay i'm gonna describe it it is a mermaid and she is like cheesing and somebody painted her she's like got jewels in her hair her tail is like swooped up over the top of her and her tail like the fins of her tail lift open lift open that's where you i think could display your jewelry if i'm not mistaken there were gemstones in there too if i if i remember right oh yes precious gems and below below her elbows she's like on a sea turtle I forgot all about the turtle. I, I forgot, forgot all about, about the turtle. The sea turtle. She's like on the sea turtle. And then and- there's um there's <laughs> butterflies like in the base as well. I had forgotten about that. So we find this horrifying horrifying thing outside. There will be pictures. Just prepare yourselves. And we're kind of like scared of it, but also intrigued by it because uh-huh. we don't know its source. We're messing around with it, and we we find this little knob. Well, you pull this knob out, and there is like a picture that has been decoupaged onto yeah. the, the drawer uh-huh. of like this family, and it's like a mom and a dad and this little girl, and you're like, who are these people? Like, are they dead? Like, where did they Kinda come from? Seems like it. <laughs> And, like, below the picture in, like, really poorly scripted cursive, it's, like, Ayana. Yeah. Yeah. It really... That's that's why we called her Ayana, the, the, the demon mermaid. And so, anyway, time goes on. We're still laughing about this mermaid that we found at the antique shop. And then, like, several months later, Mel comes to my house And, you know, I'm like chatting with my husband in the kitchen. She's out and about and like unpacking her stuff and like doing whatever. Uh And then she like comes into the kitchen and she's like, I have a scavenger hunt for you. And I. No, no, that's not even how I did it. I did the whole scavenger hunt at your house and I didn't tell you about it until I got home. That's right. Oh my gosh, you were you had already left. I was all the way back here at my house. I didn't want there to be a chance in hell that that thing <laughs> ended up back with me. So I had planted clues. I think it was like nine clues that but I had when planted. When did you decide to even go buy the thing, though? It was like- a whim. I was on my way home from work one day, and I was like, you know what would be really funny? 
if I did a scavenger, because at the time we were doing a lot of scavenger hunts with Jonah. And I'm like, I wonder if I could sneak it into Miranda's house. Oh so listen, gosh. I made this on a whim. I made a decision to go buy this and I go in to buy it. And I'm like, oh, good. It's still here. Like worried somebody might have snapped it up. The old woman that works at the counter says, I said, yeah, um, I'm interested in getting that mermaid that's out front. <laughs> and she goes, oh, isn't that the most beautiful folk art piece? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. But anyway, so I was, Jonah and I were at your house for the weekend. And I think that was the weekend that some of, it was like a Christmas time, if I remember right. I when think we were so. There. It was, it was Christmas. Yes. There were other friends there with us. And um, I hid these clues all over your house and you didn't notice at all. Like, no. <laughs> it was like nine or 10 clues. And yes. I snuck that giant box that I fit Ayana in and stuffed it in your attic. <laughs> Melody had all these little pieces of paper hidden around my house. And each piece of paper would lead you to the next piece of paper, which ultimately led you to the demon mermaid that she stashed in my attic. I did. And she, she hid this things like behind pictures on my wall, like in mm -hmm. a vase like that I have on like a shelf. She hid these things everywhere. And and so she had already left and she texted me some kind of clue to like get me started. Yeah, I texted you clue one. <laughs> and stupid me, I'm over here like, oh, it's my Christmas present. <laughs> she, oh, it was. She, she got it me was. a Christmas present. Because <laughs> you're right, it was at Christmas time. And I was thinking it was going to be this like amazing, wonderful thing that you got me for Christmas. <laughs> and I'm following these clues around the house. And then finally I get to the attic and there's this massive box and mm -hmm. I'm like, what in the world? And I hoist this thing out and Fisher's standing with me because he was with me on the whole journey of the scavenger hunt. And from the box, I lifted <laughs> Ayana, the demon mermaid. And I nearly shat myself. <laughs> I could not believe that you managed to hide not only the demon mermaid in my house, but the entire scavenger hunt of clues. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I, I did do nose. that. And, and I have to admit that on my drive home, I was like, oh, please don't let it actually be haunted. Please. I'm telling you guys, Ayana is scary as hell okay she is scary as hell i don't care who you are <laughs> unless you're ayana's mom and you're listening to this and maybe then she's not scary but so miranda what is our parenting topic for this summer episode so sticking with our summer theme this week i wanted to talk about the summer slide Ooh. Have you ever heard of Summer Slide before? I have. I've heard of it. Um, in some stuff I think from the school oh. that was sent home. So. They sent you some stuff home about Summer Slide. I feel like it was in like some of the they sent a whole informational packet about like a summer reading challenge or something like that. And mm -hmm. it talked about why they were sending it. Well, I hadn't even heard of this 
until recently. I thought that it was like a big slide that you went down in the summertime. Initially, those were my thoughts as well. But because it came with this reading thing, I was like, oh, they're talking about something else. <laughs> it's like, that sounds less fun. That sounds way yeah, less fun. Yeah, it sounds way less fun. I want a big slide to go down. That would be really fun. So I started looking into this more and I found some interesting things that I wanted to share with you. Um, so I've got some research, I've got some data, and I've got some tips. And I wanted to kind of, again, this is school-age children. I feel like I've been harping on school-age kids, but in the summer, that's where this really is applicable. So the timing seemed right. Um, I was also thinking, you know, this episode is probably going to drop about halfway through the summer. So we're starting to think about getting our kids back into the school routine, which is like the worst thing to think about. Oh, but we got to do it. So what is the summer slide? you may ask. Go ahead, ask it. Miranda, what is the summer slide? Well, I'm glad you asked, Melanie, because the summer slide is a phenomenon when children lose significant knowledge in critical school subjects like reading and math over summer break. Okay, so it's more like a summer backslide. Exactly. Yeah. If only it was a slide forward, that would be awesome. But it's technically a summer backslide. <laughs> and it sounds kind of like, you know, oh, summer slides, very arbitrary. But actually, there's been a lot of very thorough studies and research conducted on this since about the mid 90s, which was when I was in elementary school. So I was probably the one that started this trend. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> it was probably all me. Um, but a lot of these studies found that kids forgot a lot of what they learned, particularly with reading and math over the summer. And what that means is that when they get back to school in the fall, they have to make up for it because they lost all of that academic ground and all of that performance. And it's like they have to go back and relearn what they had previously mastered before the summer. And one study that was done found that the loss can be up to 20 to 30 percent of the subjects matter that they previously mastered. Wow, that's a lot. That's like a quarter of the school year. Right, you forget right. Get a quarter. Yes. And think about how frustrating that has to be, like for teachers, especially. <laughs> Right. Oh, my gosh. Like having to make up for all of that lost ground when they come back. And oh, my gosh, I don't even teachers, please message us. Tell us your frustrations. That's what we're here for. Goodness gracious. So the other thing I want to point out here is some kids may be at an even more increased risk. This kind of affects all kids across the board, but some kids are going to be additionally impacted by the summer slide, particularly younger kids between kindergarten and second grade seem to be the most prone to learning loss. And it all, again, has to go back to brain development. Their little brain are like just still so mushy at this time and they're right. learning so much you know the very most fundamental reading skills and math skills these very basic like everything from sight words to very basic mathematical principles and all of those things are really dependent on repetition and consistency and so if we don't have that in the summer they're going to kind of like disengage. That makes sense why they would send home a summer reading thing. So the goal is to keep your kid reading, I'm assuming, mm -hmm. so that they retain 
all of what they learned the year before instead of three-fourths of it. Right, exactly. Like whatever we can do to try to help and implement some of those good practices is going to be really important. And I thought about too, like we've talked about this before, like the concept of time for kids as they age. So like, you know, they're only out of school for eight weeks in the summer, but those eight weeks for a kindergartner, feel like a lifetime compared to those eight weeks for those kids as like who are high schoolers. So it's just because so much is happening in their brains. You know, there's there's right. so much that there's learning. There's so much brain activity going on. We've talked about neurons and neuroplasticity and synapses and all of these things. And so when there's like a big dramatic pause from learning, it kind of means that those synapses have to start all over again. Those neural pathways have to kind of refine themselves if we're not being consistent and repeating those patterns. Okay. Well, now I do feel slightly guilty that I just took all of that information and stuff that they sent home and put it in the shelf at the uh, closet. Well, and it may not, (laughs) it may be a starting point, you know, hopefully I can give you some more fun tips than whatever they sent home tonight. But again, it's something for us to think about and kind of be proactive with. So in addition to kids that are in this age range from like ages five to seven, children from low income families are also more likely to be affected by summer slide. And unfortunately, this can ultimately negatively impact their entire education. Why do you think these kids are at greater risk? Um, They probably don't have anybody to sit down and take the time with them to read. I know in an earlier episode, we mentioned the statistics on like how many children aren't actually read to. Mm -hmm. I would guess that in families that are struggling more, you know, people are probably working all the time Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they also probably don't have like the things that we use every day. Like they don't have like a kitchen full of healthy foods and, you know, comfortable clothes and all of those things that a lot of us take for, you know, take for granted. Yep. And another thing that we take for granted is just Wi-Fi and home internet. A lot of homes don't even have that. So especially think about older kids, you know, they're not even able to like log on to the internet and, you know, access some of the resources and educational materials. We hope that's what they're accessing out there um, that they are during the school year. Look at me showing my privilege as I speak to you through the interwebs right now. I didn't even give that a thought. Yeah. So there's there's a lot that can put these kids uh, who, who may not have access to these things like quality education, literacy programs, you know, educational summer camps, extracurricular programs. Those can cost a lot of money. And for parents who are strapped and working all of the time and not there to be able to read with their kids and all of this, it can kind of limit their exposure to some of these things that could help accelerate or advance them uh, academically. And additionally, one thing we've talked about before and you just mentioned is food security. If these sweet kiddos are not getting the nutrition that their brains need to develop over the summer because they don't have access to food, they're already at a major disadvantage. So a lot of these kids, they eat school breakfast, they eat school lunch, but when they get home in the evenings and on the weekends and in the summertime, they may be seriously food insecure. 
And I got really curious about that. So I did some research and I found that the USDA estimates that about 14% of U.S. households with children are food insecure which just absolutely breaks my heart to think about, you know, these kiddos that are like growing, you know, growing young men and women and, you know, growing non-binary kids. They don't have access to the food they're developing and growing bodies need. And we know nutrition is so critical for brain development, for just muscular development, for everything. And a lot of these kids are really missing out. So I want us to put a pin in that. We'll circle back to that a little bit later on. So another really big issue with Summer Slide is the risk of losing foundational knowledge. So much of what we learn in school is built on principles that we previously master. So like, for example, you can't really learn multiplication until you've mastered addition. You can't write an essay until you've mastered how to write a paragraph. So these poor teachers who like, instead of just jumping right into the material that they know they need to teach to get their kiddos to pass a standardized test, which we talked about in episode 11, those teachers now have to backtrack and make sure that their kids remember how to do the things that they were able to do easily when they left the last grade that they came from. Wow. That has to feel very frustrating because, I, I mean, I guess maybe it's not as noticeable to the teachers because they're reteaching them stuff that their teacher taught them last year. So it's not Mm -hmm. the same teacher, but still it has to feel like you're taking, you know, three steps back to take one step forward. Right. I just like, I think about the pressure of that and it's like, you know what you have to teach these kids to pass their standardized test, but you can't even start that material until you go back and help them learn again what they had to learn to pass the last standardized test that they took. And math actually tends to be where the most learning is lost. And some studies estimate that up to two to three months worth of learning is lost in math alone. I can totally see that because if there's one topic that leaves my brain with a quickness, it's math. Oh yeah, 100%. Like every year that I was in high school, I felt like I had to relearn algebra all over again. Like, it was I like, should have just taken algebra all four years <laughs> and been like, okay, yes. I still don't have it. I still don't have it. But part of what like really frustrates me with that is I remember thinking as a high schooler, like a moody teenager, why do I have to learn this? I'm never going to use it. And guess what? I was right. I was right. I was just going to say, I used to say that all the time. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I can remember my parents saying to me, you're totally right. You're never going to use it, but you still have to get a good grade in it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. It's so true. Like the quadratic formula, like I still remember the quadratic formula. We had a song for it. It's like X equals negative B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 4AC all over 2A. And here's the thing. I don't even know 
the fuck that is. And I don't even, if I had the mental real estate freed up for something else, but no, I'm walking around singing the quadratic formula song all day because I had to learn it for a standardized test. <laughs> it's funny that they use that song because we had to use that song for Amazar and was and were be being Ben has have had do does did shall will should and would may might must can could what yeah what are those even i can't even <laughs> tell you i don't know i love that so much it, it's uh i i don't want to say the oh wrong thing am <laughs> is are what are they pro pronouns no not prepositions pronouns. verbs i don't know <laughs> See, we learned all this stuff and we don't even know what it is. I still don't know what it is. And I don't know what the quadratic equation (laughs) does either. Me neither. All I can tell you is it is stored in my brain right next to my mom's old work phone number. Like, why is that stuff in there? Oh, okay. Let's get this on here. Am is are and was and were be being been has have had do does did shall will should and would. May, might, must, can, good. Those are action verbs. Oh, but that's not all the action verbs. I mean, it's a really good sampling, don't you think? It's pretty great. It's pretty great. But did you ever learn Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, and I don't know the rest of the song. I will tell you that one does come in handy because did you ever try to do the friends challenge where you have to write as many of the states as you can in like six minutes or something? Uh, um, I don't know that I did that, but I do know that it came up on a game and I was golden, but I yes. don't know anything after Michigan. <laughs> Hold on. I have another one. And our Spanish teacher made us march around in the parking lot. Oh, because wow. Because she had done some study where it was like if you were being active. Uh-huh. Y se vine yo. And do a something. I can't remember it, but it's it's like a a certain version. You know how in Spanish there's to all conjugate the, different... the verbs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, she was right. She was right that if you that body work improves memory for sure. That was always my trick in theater because if I could block out my lines, which means if I could put movement with my right. lines, I could remember my lines forever but sitting there and staring at them on a page over and over again i would never get them i had to have a movement or a purpose or a gesture to go with every single thing and i could memorize do something similar to your brain like when i was in college and um I waited tables the whole time that I was in college and my like waiting table mentor extraordinaire told me, don't write it down. Look at something about the person while they're telling you what it is. Oh, wow. And then if you get back to the computer, you know, to cue it in and you don't remember, just walk back out and look at whatever it was you were looking at and you'll remember it. And it works like a champ. That's brilliant. Same same thing. Yeah, it's a memory palace, right? (laughs) 
So we've got all this random shit stuck in our heads. Uh, that's what we've learned. Uh, but how effective is all this random shit at actually helping us be successful in school slash in life? We don't know. We know summer slide is a problem. We've talked about who is at an increased risk. So now I want to spend some time talking about what we can do to help these kiddos before they get back to school and they have to remember the Pythagorean theorem. Which, do you remember it, by the way? It's Isn't that A squared plus B squared equals C squared? That's it. That's it. That's beautiful. Good job. All right. First thing is reading. You mentioned summer reading. The school sent home a whole packet about summer reading. Summer reading is incredible. Um, I talked about that in a previous episode and a lot of different summer reading strategies. Again, can't emphasize that enough. Local libraries have a lot of reading challenges and literacy programs. Those are all free and a lot of them come with like cool perks, activities, other things that you can get involved with in your communities, which is awesome. Uh, Another tip that I kept finding over and over again, let kids read what they want so long as it's age appropriate and don't get hung up on, you know, well, that's not educational. Hey, if they're reading, they're practicing sight word recognition, letter decoding, all of these great things. So reading is awesome. Writing is also a great thing that we can work on and develop. So think about some age appropriate writing goals and what needs to be the focus with writing. Are we working on and hand, handwriting and fine motor skills for younger kids. Because uh, if you are, mazes, word searches, things that aren't necessarily writing but have your kid using a pencil are, okay. are really good there. And they're not even recognizing that they're improving their writing skills, but they are. Um, if you're working on spelling and grammar, there's lots of different workbooks out there uh, that are available. Again, they're not very expensive and it could be a, a good incentive incentive to try to use with your kid. And for older kids, you know, maybe explore getting them a journal or like a diary and try to encourage them to write a page, you know, like a page a week, you know, make it something that's attainable. But what did they do over their summer break? You know, let them log some of their things, let them write some things down. If you take a trip or go on an adventure somewhere, have them write down a couple of things about that. So not only are they practicing their writing skills, but they're also kind of creating a memory or something they can look back on. And listeners, if you haven't already noticed a pattern, Miranda will recommend journaling frequently. You won't hear Mel recommend it because I still, if someone walked uh, into my office and said, I need you to journal for 10 minutes, I would seriously consider climbing out the window. I don't know why that has been how I have always felt about it. There is nothing in me that wants to sit down and write down nonsense. Well, it's not it's not always that. I okay, so I love journaling. I love that we're on like both sides of the spectrum That's here. That's all I'm saying. I over journal. Like I journaled this morning about the different plants that bloom around my house over time. Because <laughs> And to me I'm like, ugh. <laughs> But to me, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so cool to think about my lilies that come out in April and my jasmine that blooms in May. And now, guess what I noticed this morning? I noticed my little uh, flowers, my hibiscus flowers on my rows of Sharon bushes are blooming. And I seen a little hummingbird over there and it was so cute. And I was like so excited. I was like, I have to journal this moment. (laughs) 
Okay. I mean, I, I, I get a list. Like, I'll do a list all day long. But I think it just comes back down to, like, who you are, you know? Yeah, like, definitely. I don't want to write some, like, flowery story about no. what I did last week. You don't have to. Just, again, Thank find you. what works for you. Find what works for your kiddos. But, again, think about those writing skills because that's going to come in handy when they have to go to college and, you know, do life. Okay. True. Another one is museums and exploring. So something to keep in mind is novelty in any shape, form, or fashion is going to stimulate the brain. So what okay. can you do to get your kid out of the house and out and about? Take them somewhere they've never been before. Uh, there's so many museums, history museums, science museums, art museums. I actually got to go to the Henry Ford Museum um, just last week, and it was amazing. I could have spent like an entire week there. I got to see the light bulb that Thomas Edison made. It was incredible. So there's all kinds of like really, really cool things out there, and it's just a matter of getting out and about, and all of this is going to help with neuroplasticity and brain development. Okay, cool museum tip that I wanted to share with you. I thought this was really cool. You can kind of like make a connection So you can kind of connect like reading with a visit somewhere. So for example, one one thing I saw was reading the book Hidden Figures about like all of the women, you know, that were involved with NASA and then go visit like a planetarium or like a space and rocket center. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm here for the science stuff. I just don't want to write in a journal. My question is, how did Henry Ford get his hands on the the light bulb. Okay. So I did not know this until I went to the museum and learned all about this. I thought Thomas Edison was like way, way before Henry Ford's time, but but apparently they were kind of contemporaries. And when Henry Ford was setting up what's called Greenfield Village, where his Museum of American Innovation is, he actually invited Thomas Edison to come on site and set up his laboratory exactly the way that it was when he discovered how to make an incandescent light bulb work. Wow. Okay. See, I am just glancing at Wikipedia right now. And uh, being an Ohioan, I know that Thomas Edison is originally from Ohio. Uh, We had some classes throughout our education where we had to learn a whole lot about people from Ohio. (laughs) But it turns out he was just born in Ohio and he did a lot of his work in Michigan, which makes sense. So there it is. There it is. That's where the Ford plant was. And it was Henry Ford had like such a respect for like all these different inventors and the Wrights brothers. You also see a lot of their stuff up at his museum, too. He has their first uh, bicycle shop. He actually had it relocated. Also from Ohio. Also from Ohio. Thank you very much. As all of the best people are from Ohio. Thank you, Melanie. Except for Dolly Parton, who is from Tennessee. (laughs) And he had like all the airplanes brought there that the Wright brothers made. So Really, really cool stuff. And think about how you can use the trip or the visit to the place as an incentive to like read a book or learn more about a particular person or topic. And I think that 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 same idea could also be applied to like around here, like state parks or Mm -hmm. botanical gardens or, Mm -hmm. you know, some outdoor things. You can do kind of the same thing. 
Yeah. And think about, again, what's your kid interested in? Uh, if they really, really want to go to the zoo, let's read a book at the library about a particular animal at the zoo, and then we'll go visit the zoo and we'll you know, see that animal in real life or something like that. So try to make those connections intentionally. I thought that was a really cool tip. For older kids, there's actually a lot of practice tests out there. So it's actually recommended that they do some practice tests like practice ACT, practice SAT, these kinds of things. Again, that's a really good area to do like a big incentive, maybe like a bonus allowance, maybe a special event or party that they get to go to or have. So for for like your teenagers out there, how can you incentivize them to practice some of those test taking skills? Because that's going to be really important um, as they're, you know, getting ready to graduate from high school. And then another thing, I didn't know that this was a thing, but apparently a lot of colleges offer summer learning programs. And these can kind of focus on special areas of interest like chemistry or literature or physics or whatever. And it kind of gives your kid a chance to go a little deeper into a subject that they're interested in. It can help them with selecting a major in college, and it can give them an opportunity to check out a college campus and kind of see what that's about too, um, as well as like maybe meeting students or, or professors. So that's a really cool thing that I found that older kids can get involved with. Cool. Okay. So we've talked about some lots of tips here. I want to encourage all of our mayhem mamas out there listening to pick out like one or two tips that you want to try to implement and use this summer uh, with the remaining weeks that we have before your kiddos go back to school. And along those same lines, Melanie, I wanted to ask you if there was a particular tip that like sounded really cool for you that you think you might be able to use with Jonah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Jonah loves to learn, so I don't really feel necessary as challenged, I guess, if that makes sense by by all of that. He likes to learn about some really weird things, which like you <laughs> said, any topic, that's fine. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing I'm going to try to do is encourage him to spend some time focusing on things that are not horror or video game related. Maybe like a, a museum kind of thing or something like that. We've done that in past years. Like I've taken them to, we have a little art museum that's not too far from here. So maybe that where we're out and then we're reading something related to it. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. I'm going to do the museum thing too with Fisher. I think that's the one I'm going to focus on. Like I also thought about we're do we're going to do the summer reading program at the library. He loves to do that and he gets like a medal and then we get tickets to the baseball game and I always make a really big deal about that and like the whole time we're at the baseball game, I'll say things like, you know, I'm so glad that you worked so hard to read all of those books so we could come here tonight, you know? I make it like a really big deal and that night he can kind of get like if he wants extra dipping Dots or whatever to go play on the bouncy slide, they have an amazing bouncy slide, not to be confused with the summer slide at the baseball game. So lots of fun things to do there. That sounds really good. Melanie, you said you wanted to end tonight's episode with a bang. So what is our medical mystery? Well... It is going to be a bang, that's for sure. Uh, Because of the timing of this episode and when it will come out, I wanted to kind of talk about fireworks and the injuries and unfortunately, sometimes 
deaths that are related to fireworks because oh, geez. Um, I know it's a little dark, but you know, I'm always that person bringing the clouds. <laughs> and you wonder why your son is so interested in horror, right? There's really no question there. <laughs> So anyway, I have, a, I, I, of course, as always, we'll put these um, on our show notes, the sources, but there was a recent report from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, or the CPSC, that has found there is a significant upward trend in fireworks-related injuries. Between the year of 2006 and 2021, the number of injuries in the U.S. from fireworks climbed by by over 25%. What? Yeah. It's it has always been a problem, but it's becoming more of a problem. I want to um, interview like somebody who works in an emergency room who's like dealt with a fireworks industry <laughs> injury inju- before. <laughs> well, listen to this. There were last year, well, last year in this report, which was 2021, there were an estimated 11,500 emergency room treated injuries related to fireworks, which fun fact was down significantly from a huge spike during COVID-19 in 2020. It was the highest firework related injury in recorded history, over 15,600 injuries during that first year of COVID. Oh my gosh. These people trapped in their houses with nothing else to do. They're like, let's get some fireworks. (laughs) Well, a lot of that was attributed to, because, you know, during that first year of COVID, like the public displays of fireworks were canceled in most places because they were yeah so people were like i'm gonna do it myself kind of thing Um, i'm gonna make my own fireworks well now listen to this statistic and i this kind of (laughs) blew my mind an estimated 8500 firework related injuries or 74 percent of those recorded occurred between june 18th and july 18th so it's all around the 4th of July. Yep. Yep. That tracks. That tracks. Yeah. That's when we just really feel American and we just want to blow shit up. America. <laughs> um, the, the highest number of injuries were amongst um, young adults aged 20 to 24, which that also tracks. Probably males, given uh, your episode about men's health. Most likely it didn't it didn't break it down that way, but I would guess I'd be willing to guess just from from the people that I have known in my life. The body parts most often affected by these firework injuries are hands and fingers and then head, face and ears. I thought that face would be involved. I face is gonna saw be involved. that coming. I saw that one coming. So about 32% of injuries treated in the emergency department were related to burns. So put a pen in mm. that. We are actually going to talk about burns now. I wanted to touch on this, and I know that we've talked about a couple different things that are somewhat burn related, but I felt like this was very fitting. Um, we're going to put this in here and then i have some tips at the end for being safe with your fireworks but the first thing that i wanted to mention is the different types of burns 
Do you remember a particular type of burn that we've discussed previously? Um, I mean, there's first degree, second degree, third degree. Oh, no, degree. you're doing the degrees. I'm actually talking about the types. Oh, well, we talked about sunburns. We did. And sunburn is a radiation burn. So that is a burn caused by prolonged exposure to UV rays of the sun or other sources of radiation. There's also chemical burns, and that's anything involving detergents, strong acids, solvents that are either on your skin or in your eyes. There's electrical burns, which of course, you know, that's like an electrocution type situation. And then, of course, most closely related to our fireworks, thermal burns. And oh. thermal thermal burns actually incorporate anything that comes from an external heat source, which hmm. raises the temperature of the skin and causes cell death or charring. Mm. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah I know. Sorry, I just pictured a hot dog in my head. It was really gross because the word I pictured a Brussels sprout. (laughs) (laughs) That is very interesting. I love a good charred Brussels sprout. It's like one of my favorite things to eat. Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) I don't like a hot dog, but it makes me think of charring. I I don't know why. But uh, thermal burns can come from hot metals, scalding liquids, steam, or of course, Mm. as in the circumstance of our fireworks, the the flame, the Mm -hmm. fire, the flame. Now, you mentioned the degrees, and that was another thing that I wanted to talk about because we hear that a lot, and I don't know that anybody has really taken the time to know the difference between the degrees. I don't. A first-degree burn is considered superficial. So a first-degree burn affects only the epidermis, which is the outermost layer of our skin. It makes the burn site red, painful, dry, but no blisters. So like a sunburn is essentially a first degree or superficial burn. Long-term damage is rare. When it comes to the burn, this does not, you know, this doesn't excuse you from all the skin cancer stuff that we covered in an earlier episode. Second degree burns are also referred to as partial thickness. So this involves the top two layers of the skin, which are the epidermis and the dermis. This will appear red and it will be blistered and swollen and painful. So obviously that's more significant. The worst of the burns and what we most want to avoid are the third degree burns. And third degree burns destroy the epidermis and the dermis. So it actually destroys both layers of the skin and then may also damage underlying bones, muscles, and tendons. Bones and tendons? Yeah. So this is a full thickness burn. It's the grossest kind. The burn site appears to be white or charred. Oh, no. And I'm not trying to make a positive out of a third degree burn because there's nothing positive there. But the only thing that might be a slight better, slight Mm -hmm. bit better, is that after you get through the top two layers, there's no sensation below it. So a third degree burn, whereas second degree burns are extremely painful. Keep in mind, if a burn affects 10% of a child's body or 15 to 20% of a of an adult's body, 
those situations are considered to be major injuries and will almost always require uh, hospitalization and extensive rehabilitation. Wow. So burns are no joke. I I guess I could say I'm lucky. I I only know like friends of friends who have been severely burned. Well, it makes me think where you were talking about the third degree burn, and I need to double check with Brad, but I'm sure you'll recall his lawnmower incident when he was a kid. Oh, yeah. That was the heat that burned him. So it was a thermal burn, but he had some mush. He had some muscle damage all the way down to his muscle. But what's interesting, like where you were just talking about the nerve damage, he has kind of told me he never even felt it because it happened so quickly and it's like it just damaged his nerves. So he was riding along on a lawnmower with like his cousins, like they were playing around on this lawnmower up in Indiana and he had on a long pair of blue jeans and somehow or other his his jeans right at his calf got like pulled into part of the lawnmower not obviously the cutting part but some part of the engine where it was really really hot and it melted his jeans to his calf like it was all mixed in together and Essentially Ew. now, like that spot is white because it went down to yeah. the muscle. So yeah. like it doesn't even look like skin. It's just like this big white section on his leg and like he can't grow hair there or anything. And it's like right. a really crazy shape. And so he's missing like this giant patch of leg hair on his leg. But I'm wondering if that, you know, it was probably a second degree mixed with a third degree. Truthfully, Yeah, I think from what I understood in all, in all the research I was doing it's usually like anyone who is in a serious burn situation has all different levels like you know you don't just have a third degree burn like there's probably other areas where there's a second degree but regardless i mean it's something that we all want to avoid and you mentioned kids on lawnmowers and that is like i have that's a personal issue for me. I It scares the crap out of me when I see a little kid riding on a lawnmower with an adult. Like, you know, like, oh, Johnny, come ride with me while I mow the lawn. Like, no, don't do that. Don't hmm. do that. Because you think of the risk of burns or just like oh, injury in general? Oh, I can't even tell you how many stories I know of of kids that have ended up with amputated fingers, toes, feet. There's a couple cases that were from not too far from where I grew up that it was like, I mean, one kid that I know of almost lost his lower arm because you hit a bump. And if you have the mower deck down, I mean, bump, you know? Yeah, there you go. There it is. You don't know what's going to happen when everybody lands. Not how you want to spend your summer, people. Not at all how you want to spend your summer burned for any reason. But one more thing that I'm going to say about burns, and I don't want it to feel like I'm glossing over this. I just thought this was a really appropriate spot for us to include that information about the different types of burns. They are very serious injuries um, because so many functions of the systems of the body can be affected by the burns. They often require like a very long 
healing process or rehab process. Many hospitals have specialized burn units that are designated solely for that purpose. I know that there's at least one major one in every region. They require super specialized services. And and I mean, I'm talking folks that get really severely burned. Yeah. And the team, there's a list of the team that is involved in that. And it is like, looks like it's about 20 people long. Everything from, you know, respiratory therapists to plastic surgeons and all everything in between. Wow. wow. The problem with burns is that it, they require very complex wound care because like you were saying, Brad's jeans burned right into his flesh. His skin. Yeah. Like, like it was all mixed And so together. you have like a contaminated wound and because it's burned, it makes it very hard to clean it. And that's where you get into debriding, which is incredibly painful. Um, that's where they like scrape out oh, everything to get to like all the contaminants and everything to get to clean tissue. Or even if if people that have like severely like if they have like third degree burns over to get it to heal properly, they'll have to debreed the whole area. And if it's if it's if there's second degree burns involved in that, it's incredibly mm-hmm. painful. I'm sure. So I say all of that to say, you know, be careful this summer. There are many things in summers that it could involve fires and burns potentially i wasn't mm-hmm. even thinking of lawnmowers but lawnmowers fireworks uh you know bonfires that's all that i'll say about that but y'all be careful and here are my tips on how to celebrate safely never and this is a hard one and i'm guilty i have done this but it says never allow young children to play with or ignite fireworks including sparklers Here's a fun fact about sparklers. Sparklers burn at a temperature of approximately 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. What? Yes. And that fire is actually hot enough to melt some metals. 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 2,000 degrees. Correct. A sparkler. Whoa. Yeah. Well, and that kind of makes sense because I remember when I was a kid, I burnt my hand on a sparkler and my skin just instantly, I mean, it was just like green burn. Like it didn't even hurt. It had just burned so quickly, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, it's a hot, that's a hot, hot flame. So Wow. Wow. Y'all keep that in mind because I know we always did sparklers. We um, always had sparklers. And I mean, we probably still will, but here is some some other safety tips for that. If you're doing sparklers or fireworks, always keep a bucket of water or a garden hose handy just in case there's some kind of incident. Light fireworks one at a time and then move away quickly. That's important. Make sure everybody's moving away. If a firework malfunctions, don't try to relight it. Like, don't go up there and, like, try to relight it. That happens a lot. I can't recall the name, but he's an NFL football player, and he mm-hmm. blew off, like, I want to say two or three fingers by oh, trying wow. to relight a firework that hadn't worked. 
Um, oh my goodness. So the tip in the, everything that I read says that if it doesn't light, if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, you know, that's bad luck. You're out the money that you spent on it, but soak it in water and throw it away. You don't want to take the risk that something's going to happen that's going to, you know, get somebody hurt. Wow. Obviously, never place any part of your body directly over a firework device when lighting the fuse. Try to keep a safe distance. Don't like be like, well, I got to get this lit right down in here and have your head (laughs) over top of it. Yeah. Never point or throw fireworks at anyone. That includes sparklers. They kind of seem like they'd be fun to throw, but don't do it. They're pokey. They're very pokey. Don't, Don't do it, people. It's a bad idea. After fireworks complete their burning to prevent a trash fire, douse the spent device with plenty of water from a bucket or a hose before throwing it away. That's a good one. And I mean, I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't even think of that. You know, you're like, oh, it's all burned out, you know, but yeah, you don't really think about disposing of the fireworks. You just think about, you know, lighting them and blowing them up and watching them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Of course, make sure that fireworks that you have are legal in your area. You want to make sure that you're not going to get into any legal trouble for doing things that you shouldn't. And then this feels like the most un-American tip that I will ever say. Uh Uh-oh. Don't use fireworks while using alcohol. (laughs) That is very un-American. And I'm really sorry because that's not fun, but y'all just be careful. Have somebody who doesn't drink in charge of lighting. Have a designated fire pyrotechnic. And 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 that's that's all we're gonna say about that. Make sure that you have a designated pyrotechnician. <laughs> I love it. Who is sober at the time of lighting? Yes. Or you can do what I always do and just literally go and watch a display that the professionals yeah. are doing. Yeah. That's what I tend to do because I am there's there's a lot of trees and I'm always worried I'm gonna like start a forest fire. Yeah. Well, you are close to the forest where you're at. Right. Like I would set the whole woods on fire if it was me. So I usually trust the professionals there. So y'all be careful, but enjoy your 4th of July. Be as American as you can be. Just don't let anybody get hurt. Miranda, you have our spotlight today. I... I do. Okay. So remember earlier we were talking about kiddos that may not have access to, uh, you know, healthy and nutritious food, especially over the summer? Yes. Okay. So I want to highlight a really awesome organization that's trying to solve this problem. And it is called No Kid Hungry. So No Kid Hungry is a national campaign that's run by Share Our Strength. And Share Our Strength is a nonprofit working to solve problems of hunger and poverty in the United States and around the world. After 25 years of successfully investing in local nonprofits and helping to find the best approaches to eradicating poverty and hunger, Share Our Strength launched No Kid Hungry in 2010. Okay, so one thing that I really liked about No Kid Hungry is that aside from setting yourself up to give like a financial donation, they're actually partnering with some different brands across the country that will donate to them as well. And I absolutely love this. So they have a partnership set up with Athletic Greens. I know a Mm -hmm. lot of folks uh, use their products. 
they have a uh, system where they will donate 10 cents from the sale of every AG1 product that's sold online. So really great way to just contribute to a brand that's contributing to a larger mission. And the other one that I saw that I was really excited about is actually Tropical Smoothie Cafe is one of their biggest donators. So $1 per every Sunshine Smoothie that's purchased will be donated to No Kid Hungry. So right there, right off the bat, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to get a a Sunshine Smoothie all the time. So I think that's a really cool way to also spread awareness and get involved is by working with uh, collaborative brands and other partners. But they've got some really great ways to set up ongoing donations. It says on their website that $1 can actually support up to 10 meals for a child. Wow. That's impressive. Really, really cool. So you can learn more about No Kid Hungry by visiting nokidhungry.org. If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at mothermayhempodcast at gmail.com.